Good morning. Good morning. There's a little bit of buzz in the room today. It's, uh, I think it's partly because, well, it's warm. And, and lots of people are here, back, um, with all the holidays and being off at church and cold weather and some of you been not feeling well and just so good to look around the room and see so many people that we haven't seen for a little bit. So it's good to have so many of you back and good to be back in the same room together. Um, if you haven't been here for a while, um, you probably won't be entirely surprised uh, to know that we're still doing the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. And... Um, well, I am going to say, just, I mean, this is crazy to do, because you kind of go out on a limb. Um, after today, I think we've just got three weeks left. So there, there is the end in sight for those of you. I think maybe some of you who haven't been here for a month or two thought, surely if I wait, lay out a month or two, I'll come back, and we'll be doing something else. God help us. Um, but no, we're still there. We're still uh, sojourning in the Apostles' Creed. Um, we are in the third article of the Creed. Um, you remember it's a triune creed. It's about the God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the third article of the Creed is, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. That was two weeks ago. The, Ho the Holy Catholic Church. The communion of saints is what we're at today. The communion of saints. And... We said last week that there's a way in which um, all of these are closely tied together. There's this kind of surprise that in one breath you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. And you're thinking those just seem like two very different things. One, you're talking about, you know, God, um, the Spirit, and the, the Holy Catholic Church, which is us. And this kind of surprise that we... You know, the, the creed is, is a confession. It, it's where uh, we place, it's, it, it's in whom we place our trust. Um, it, it's, a, it's a lot about, you know, how we see the world. Our deepest convictions uh, shape the way you and I see the world every day. We know this. Um, and we've said that uh, the Apostles' Creed is just one of the creeds of the church, uh, but it's an ancient creed. And it reminds us and helps us bring to speech, articulate, uh, the deepest convictions that we're called to live our life by. And so last week we, we started talking about the fact that we have, we're called to have these deep convictions about this thing called the church. Um, that all of us, oh, I, I shouldn't speak for you, that many of us, myself included, have a kind of love-hate relationship with, if we're honest. Right? Um, that on the one hand, um, it's the Holy Catholic Church. It's not, it's not about us, right? It's about what God is doing in and through us. That this holiness is not our possession. That the Catholic part is, is the universal church, right? Uh, it's, the, it's the worldwide church across time and space, which we'll come back to today when we talk about the communion of saints. Um, but that somehow our deep conviction 
right, ultimately isn't about us. Our deep conviction about the church is that from the very beginning, uh, God has been calling out a people who by their very life together would bear witness to who God is and what God's doing in the world. And so we, we are that people, okay? Um, and you're thinking, gosh, I'm thinking too. Um, even on our best days, um, we don't look like much, right? That's just the truth, right? We talked about this last week. I mean, we, we are broken people. You don't need me to tell you that you're broken. And I honestly don't need you to tell me that I'm broken. I know that, right? I know that. But that, that's precisely the glory of God, right? God has gloried from the very beginning to make God's self known through broken people, right? God has never waited for a perfect vessel to come along. Now, there was a perfect vessel that came along in Jesus Christ, but God, God didn't start working when Jesus showed up. Right? God was working long, long before that through very broken people. And God has been working long after Jesus left the scene in the flesh through the Holy Spirit empowering us, transforming us to be vessels of God's glory in the world. And that's part of our conviction. That's hard at one level, right? At one level you think, gosh, it's awfully hard to believe in the Trinity. Well, sure, at one level. But you think it's any easier to believe that that triune God is bearing witness to who God is through you and me? That that's how God is revealing God's self to the world today? Through us? And that, that's incredibly, that's on the one hand sort of astonishing and it's also enormously humbling, right? But that, that's God's desire. This is, what, this is what we're confessing, right? This miracle that's every bit a, a miracle. We talk about the miracle of the incarnation, that God takes flesh through the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ and walks among us, that that's a miracle. But it's no less a miracle, I would say, that God continues to take flesh through the Spirit in us, broken people. And that's part of our confession. God, God didn't leave the scene. Um, when Jesus ascends into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, but God sends the Spirit to continue God's work of restoration, right? the God's work of making all things new, bringing a new creation. And we're part of that. We are instruments of that if we are willing to allow the Spirit to move through us. And so this phrase today, the communion of saints, is really another way of talking about the church over time and space. We alluded to this last week, that when we talk about the church, we're not, we are, I mean, the beauty about the language of the church is that on one hand, we are talking about like this place on the corner of downtown Johnson City, right? Um, that God is doing the work we just talked about here through us. 
that's extraordinary, right? We're not talking about some imaginary church, right? Or some church in my head that God somewhere might be doing this work. No, God is doing that work right here. Okay, through you and me, through us together. But it's also true that when we say the word church, we're not, we don't just mean the local church. Uh, we don't just mean all the Methodist churches. Right? We mean all of the people of God through whom the Spirit is working. Right? We said, you know, Paul's language in, in Romans 8 last week that, you know, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Right? And so that, that's, that's where it starts to become a little staggering because we're not just talking about this little place. We're talking, not just talking about Methodism. We're not even talking about Methodism around the world. Right? We're talking about all who name the name of, of Jesus, all who open themselves to the work of the Spirit, all around the world, and then all across time. That's what we're part of. And one thing we ought to catch a glimpse of when we get to this uh, phrase in the Apostles' Creed, when we stand up and uh, say this creed together on a, a Sunday morning, is just to be reminded, just to be reminded of what we're part of. Um, it all sort of, it all sort of, uh, make your breath catch a little bit, <laughs> right? Um, that we're part of something that extends around the world across time and will continue, right? Well after you and I are gone, right? The communion of saints. So let's say a little bit about what's trying to be articulated because it's three words, you think, look at, he surely can't talk for 30 minutes with three words, but you know better. <laughs> yeah, I've trained you, right? Um, so we'll focus mainly on communion and saints. I mean, we could, we could spend a week on, uh, but we won't this week, right? I want to keep you away. Um, so this word, we've already talked about this word, Communion, because God's deepest desire from the very beginning was to be in communion with us. Right? That's why God brings creation into existence, because God wants to be in deep communion with us. And to be in communion with someone is to, to share something deep in common. Right? The word English word communion comes from something common, to be united in something common. And and God wants to share the very life of God with us. God, God's opening the life of God and drawing us in. Um, that's, so that's what we're talking about here. And we want to talk about the different kinds of ways of the different things that we're in communion with. We're talking about the communion of saints. So we'll, we'll come back to communion. But just to kind of remind us what communion is, is this deep fellowship, this deep sharing, this deep having things in common. And the the lovely thing about the phrase communion of saints in, in both Greek and Latin um, is that this, this is ambiguous in, um, in the translation. It can mean two different things. It can mean the communion of saints, meaning the communion of people that we might call saints. 
but also can be translated and often was understood in the church for a couple thousand years that it also mean communion in holy things. So holy things and holy people can mean either one. Um, we'll focus on holy people first and then we'll come at the end to holy things. Um, so holy people. And as we said last week, um, when we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, that that holiness, that setting apartness, which is what holy means, to set something apart for a purpose, uh, is not our possession, right? It's, it's what God grants us, uh, this holiness. Um, and same thing here. This, when we talk about a saint, uh, that's just uh, a word for meaning being made holy, right? A saint is just something, a holy thing. Means, that's why it says holy things are holy people. A saint is a holy person, someone who is being made holy, who's being set apart, right? Who's being set apart by being made into what God has always desired us to be. And so when we often think of saints, um, we often think of like, super Christians, right? Sort of like if I, I wouldn't dare tear off my shirt, but if I did, you know, I'd have like a giant S there, right? Super Christian, right? Um, when we think of saints, that's what we think of. Um, and, and it's easy to think that, you know, the saint somehow possesses some type of superhuman capacity so that, you know, we, don't, we wouldn't even be qualified to be the sidekick, right, of the super-Christian, right? Uh, you couldn't even be Robin, right? Um, but, but no, that's not what it's about. I mean, the one way of thinking about it is uh, that a saint is a kind of living, a living embodiment of the history of the work of the Spirit. Okay. Uh, when the spirit works, it, it, it leaves its mark. And it leaves its, its mark on, on people. And so a saint is just someone who's, who we can recognize as someone through whom the spirit has worked. So the saint is never, it's never about the saint. It's about the way the God has worked in and through the saint to leave a mark, okay, to leave a mark. Um, I think about the, the Grand Canyon. That's just water, like water carved that. It left a mark, a pretty dramatic mark. Um, that's just water, left it le but it left its mark pretty dramatically. <clears throat> But water leaves its mark in a lot less dramatic fashion, too. I mean, all you gotta do is just walk down to a stream and just pick up a pebble that's been over who knows how many thousands of years has been, right, made smooth, perfectly. It just, it's amazing. And you think, how, how long? It's, it's imperceptible. It's not like if you went out every week and thought, well, I can tell what the water did this week. No. But it's left its mark in, in a kind of beautiful way. And so a saint is just someone, is kind of a living history 
of the work of the Spirit. And it's interesting that you know, Paul's going to call all of us saints, right? Um, when Paul writes a letter, it's almost always addressed to the saints in Philippi, to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Ephesus. And he doesn't mean, like, to the super-Christians in Ephesus. He just means, he's just, he's just calling it the church. That's who they are. It's addressed to the ones that God, through the Spirit, is making holy, that, is setting apart, that God is setting apart, that God is sort of transforming into the image of Christ. And so, all of us are saints. You don't, I mean, sometimes it's easy to sort of say, gosh, I look at Mother Teresa, and she was such a saint. She, you could see how the Spirit was working in her life, but not me. I could never be that. What well, God... God hasn't asked you to be Mother Teresa, right? That's good news. Um, God hasn't asked you to be Mother Teresa, okay? Saint Teresa. God asked you to be, you know, Saint Judy and Saint Tom and Saint Michael and Saint Vance, and right? That's going to look different. The question isn't, do you look just like Mother Teresa? The difference is. Do you and I live in such a way by the power of the Spirit that the work, the mark of the Spirit is evident? Right? Has the Spirit left a legacy in, in my life, in your life? That'll look different. But it's, it's made possible by the Spirit. And because of that, because we are all children of God, because we're all being led by the Spirit of God and are children of God, Therefore, we, we have something in common. There's a communion of these saints. So what is it we share in common? Well, first of the thing that we share is we, we share this life with God. Right? It's a communion with God that all of us share in this communion by the Spirit with God. And just, just to remind you of a couple passages here. Um, we mentioned the Romans 8 passage, right, from last week. But I want to read a little further. This is Romans 8, uh, 14 and following. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with God. If in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So we're heirs, right? And part of what we share is this inheritance, right? We've all shared the same inheritance. Um, we've been brought in to the family of God. And therefore, we, we have this communion, the communion of saints. Is we have this communion in this common inheritance with God. The shocking part there, maybe, we can kind of run past it pretty quickly, is the way that Paul says that one of the things that we share is 
the suffering of Christ, that that's part of our inheritance. Um, I don't know if you've ever inherited things. I suspect many of you have, and some of you are leaving an inheritance, maybe, um, to your offspring. Some, for good, wise reasons, choose not to. Um, but I don't know if you've, you know, when, when you received part of your inheritance, that if you got something that you really, really love, then you got something to go, I don't know why they left that to me, right? I don't really need that. Um, maybe it was, I don't know, right? Something that your, uh, your parents or whoever left it to you thought you'd really like. And it turns out you never really liked that. Um, don't really want that. And trying to figure out how to delicately offload it on somebody else. Right? Or, you know, secretly overnight, you know, take it to the Salvation Army or something. Um, Paul says that part of our inheritance, right, part of our inheritance is the privilege, right, the privilege of sharing in Christ's suffering. That part of what we have in common. Part of our communion is a communion in the sufferings of Christ. And he says this more than once. So it's not sort of, you know, Paul had a bad day, must have gone out of his mind and jotted something down. He says it repeatedly that this is the case. Let me just read one passage for you from Philippians chapter 3. I regard, Paul says, everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Listen to this. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. Did you catch that? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings. Paul <coughs> desires that. The sharing, this communion in the suffering of Christ. This is part of our inheritance. It's part of what we have in common is that we have been called into the suffering with Christ for the good of the world and for God's glory. That's part of the communion of saints. It's part of what the saints have in common. It's part of what the saints are sharing in is the suffering of Christ. So we have this deep communion with God, which includes the suffering of Christ that we're called to, to communion, to fellowship, to share as part of our heritage, part of the legacy, part of what we've been left, part of our inheritance. 
it's not just our communion with God as the communion of saints, but because we are all beloved children of God, because we all are drawn into communion with God, then we are also share in the communion of saints with one another, right? So communion of saints doesn't just mean communion with God, it also means communion with one another. And first of all, what it means is communion with the saints who have departed, who have already gone into their rest. And this is one of those points where we're reminded of how much larger right, the communion of saints is. Um, as we'll see, yes, it includes us in this room, but it also includes those who have gone ahead. And, and the church has always tried to remember uh, that the communion of saints is much, much bigger than us. Right? And, and you, see, you see this vision lots of places in the, in the book of Revelation in chapter, um, chapter 7 uh, when, when John has this vision right um, and he's imagining you know the throne room um, has this vision of God and it says after this I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands, and cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped, singing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to our God forever and ever. Amen. People from every tribe and nation and language. Right. It's easy to think when we gather here on Sunday morning to worship God. that I, we're doing that here in kind of isolation. <laughs> um, but one of the things we should be sort of catch a glimpse of when we stand up and announce that we believe in the communion of saints is that one of the things we should be reminded of is when we gather to worship, um, all we're doing is joining our voices to the eternal worship of God that's always going on, right? Um, I mean, if we stopped worshiping here at Muncie Church, God forbid, um, the worship of God would continue on uh, around, the, around the world, but in God's very presence, right? So we're, we are communing with the saints every time we worship and we're adding our voices to their voices, those who have departed and gone on to their rest. Um, and, and these saints, again, are across time from, from everywhere. Right? And, and we are in communion with them. Right? We are in communion with them, and they with us. And, yeah, and some of them, you know, some of them have names. You know, um, this is part of the beauty of 
uh, our heritage. Part of what we've inherited is we have names of people and stories of people across time and space who, again, God has sort of etched uh, God's mark upon them through the Spirit. Right? These are some of the, the people's names that we know. Right? Um, I was in Assisi in Italy last summer and learned a lot more about St. Francis than I, I mean, I thought I knew a fair bit about St. Francis, but there's a lot to know. And so we remember, like, St. Francis, not because he's a Christian in a different way than you and I are a Christian, but it's part of, part of the power of our heritage is that some of our, some of our family members are nameable, right? Um, I don't know much about uh, my family all that much, but I'm grateful that at least some of my family in the past have names and I know some of their stories, right? helps me remember who I am. But the Christian heritage is that way too. There, there are unnameable saints and they're every bit as important as the nameable ones. But we can be grateful that we have names and stories of some of those saints because they remind us, because we can see in the story of who they were that God was at work. Again, it's not about them. Right? What's beautiful about St. Francis's story is you, you hear that story and you think God was at work there. Right? I mean, you can't just explain St. Francis' life on St. Francis' terms. You, you need God, right? And the point is, that should be the case with me and you too, right? I mean, I long for the day, by the grace of God, by the power of day, where someone somewhere might say, you know that person there? I think it's Phil Kennison. Um, but God's at work there, right? It's not about him. But I can see God's at work in his life in some way, right? I mean, that's what God wants. So that my life, together with your life, that we can bear witness to what God's doing. It doesn't do any good to tell the world, God wants to transform us into the image of Christ. And they say, well, that's lovely. Is there, can you point to anywhere where that's even beginning to happen? It's like, well, no, it's kind of invisible work. No, church has never taught that, Right? We're still going to be broken, cracked vessels, right? But the Spirit has left a mark in some way, right? If I or you or no one can point to anywhere in my life where the Spirit has left a mark, then um, we've got questions to ask. Like, why is that so? Have I not opened myself up to the work of the Spirit? Am I resisting the work of the Spirit? Do I have no interest in the work of the Spirit in my life? So the saints, the departed saints, are, are nameable. Uh, and the earliest ones, to go back to the suffering part, the earliest ones that the church named as saints were the martyrs. Okay. That's pretty interesting to me. Uh, the first ones that the church named as martyrs were not people that like lived really good lives and sort of like never got in trouble, which is what we think saints are, people who just like are sort of squeaky clean. The ones who the church first named as saints were people who suffered, who shared in the sufferings of Christ. Um, that, again, that's a, a humbling reminder of the, the heritage that we've received. So we're in communion with God, we're in communion, the saints are in communion with the saints across time and space, um, who are at least some of whom are nameable. And we are, in fact, 
in relationship with one another, right? We, I mean, if Paul were writing a letter today, you know, I can imagine him writing to the saints in Johnson City. <coughs> that would be us. We would be included in that. Right? To the saints in Johnson City, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Um, we're in communion with one another, and that has all kinds of implication uh, for our life together. Um, we, we've been called to be the body of Christ here. And we can't forget that, that it's not about us. It's about how are we in this place opening ourselves up to the Spirit's capacity to make a mark on our lives. How do you and I continue to place ourselves in that, in that water, if you will, uh, to be continued to be uh, made smooth? Right? We talk quite a bit here about our relationship with one another. So, but I want to be clear that when we talk about the communion of saints, we're also talking about us. What is it that we share? Right. We share, we, because we all are children of God, we share life of God. We also share that, that, that the common life with each other. Um, and that's at the heart of our identity. Um, we gather here, in this group right here, let's just take this group right here. We gather here on Sunday, um, I hope, not simply because we... <laughs> We like each other. We've had a long history with each other in Johnson City, and you grew up as childhood friends, and you've been here all your life, and you learned how to swim in the Muncie pool, and so you feel a little obligation to be here because you didn't drown. Um, I mean, those are all lovely things, right? And I believe God can use those things for good, but that's not why you're here, I hope. I hope you need God to explain why you're here, right? And I hope the, the love and affection I feel for you uh, is not just about the fact that I like you as a human being, although in most cases I do. <laughs> it's about we, we share something, right? We share something profound, something profound. And, and that should be the bond. And so when we stand up and we confess that we, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, we should be reminded that um, we're, we're here because God is calling us. God has called us into God's life, into communion with God's life, and that means we're called into that together, and that creates a bond, a communion with each other. That is unlike any other bond. So we're in communion with God. We're in communion with the departed saints. We're in communion with the saints that are right around us. But the communion of saints, I want to just quickly say, also has to do with, the com we also have a communion in holy things. Um, people often have commented, isn't it, that they think, what happened with the these important sacraments of the church, right? A sacrament is something holy, like baptism and Eucharist. 
But those are the holy things, right? We also commune in these holy things. And it's interesting that baptism and Eucharist are not separated from anything that we said so far. Right? If we want to take the time, we could go to Romans 6, right, where Paul has this long discussion about how baptism is a participation in the death of Jesus. Right? Paul says baptism is this image of us dying to Christ. In baptism, we have died to ourselves. Right? And the, and the Eucharist clearly is both remembrance of the suffering of Christ and an anticipation of the great banquet that we will share on the last day. Right? It's both things. Um, and so we participate in these holy things that are intended, I mean, again, the point of a sacrament is to take something common, bread, wine, water, to offer it to God, to offer it to Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit makes it more than bread, wine, water. And that's intended to be a symbol of what God is trying to do with all of us. Take something common, Ron, Carol, Jeff, Phil, Tom, right? Take something common and making it more than it would otherwise be by the work of the Spirit. Right? So it's through, through these, these holy things, Eucharist, baptism, that reminds us that God is in the business of taking everyday things that don't look like much and doing something extraordinary in and through them. And it's not most of all the sacraments, it's us. You and I are called to be, if you will, a kind of living sacrament. Right? You, that's another way of saying communion and holy thing. To be a saint is to be a living sacrament. To to many eyes, it just looks like a human being, like anybody else, but it's made alive, animated by the Spirit of God. So communion in holy things is part of what the communion of saints is. Holy people, holy things. And it's interesting, in the liturgy of a number of, of uh, Christian traditions around the world, oh, one of the one of the lines in the Eucharist liturgy is holy things for holy people. Holy things for holy people. Um, again, not because we're special, but because these things aren't special, but they're made holy, we're made holy by the work of the Spirit. Part of what the saints are as I was saying, is a kind of history of the work of the Spirit. And I want to close just by reminding us that the history that God, that the Spirit is leaving in our very bodies is a kind of counter-history to the world. Right? I mean, God, God's leaving a mark through us, and, and that, that history that God is telling through us challenges the history that is told about the world. This is not unimportant, but we'll close with this. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, one of the 
the saints that we know as St. Lawrence before he was regarded as a saint in the early church. He lived in the third century. Um, he was a deacon at Rome, uh, which meant part of his job was to take care of the poor, was to take the treasures of the church and make sure the poor were taken care of. And Rome got wind of this, the Roman emperor got wind of this and sent an official, um, and actually, this is during the persecution in the midst of 258 AD. And uh, the Roman emperor sent out word that all, all the bishops, all the priests, all the, de all the deacons uh, should be killed in the church, should be slaughtered. And so Lawrence, um, a deacon in Rome, was brought before uh, a Roman official. But the word had gotten out that because he was kind of the treasurer of the Roman church, taking care of the poor with it, um, Rome was interested in that. Um, and he said, before uh, we execute you, we need you to, you know, cough up the treasury. And he said, well, I need a few, I need a few, I need three days to do that. They said, okay. So three days later he came and um, he brought all the poor and all the crippled and all the maimed and all the disfigured. And he brought them to the Roman official. And he says, where's the treasures of the church? And he said, standing right before you are the jewels of the church. Lawrence was writing a different history, right? The spirit was writing a different history of the world through Lawrence, right? The world has taught us, has told a story about what treasure is, what is to be treasured. We're called to tell and live out a kind of counter history to that by allowing the work of the spirit to work in us. Lawrence was, I mean, you can imagine how enraged the Roman official was. Legend is that he was um, grilled alive on an iron grate, right? Sharing in the sufferings of Christ. But we remember his name, not because he's a saint in a way that you and I are not called to be. Not because he was special. We remember him because in a very particular way, we are reminded that when the spirit comes and at work, it leaves a mark. And this is the mark it left on Lawrence. Okay. What are the marks that the spirit is leaving on us? I don't know for sure. And maybe, maybe we're the worst ones to know. I don't know that Lawrence would have known, but we do. So part of the communion of saints is we bear witness to what God is doing in each other's lives. And may we be at work um, opening ourselves to the Spirit of God so that God can bear witness through us to the glory of God for the sake of the world. Let's pray.
Gracious God, we are humbled that you have called us into communion with you to with all the departed saints and with the saints who surround us even now. And that you call us into communion with holy things through which you make us more and more into the people you've called us to be. May you continue to open us up. May we continue to be willing to be opened up to the work of your spirit that you might mark us as your people, that you might set us apart as your holy people so that we might, by the work of your spirit and by your grace, bear witness to your desires for all of creation. We pray this through Christ and through the power of his spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill.